In spring of 2014, the USPTO issued new guidelines on patent eligibility for subject matter derived from nature following the Supreme Court's decisions in Myriad and Prometheus. Finnegan partner Leslie McDonald and Nishla Kaiser, a former Finnegan attorney and currently Chief Intellectual Property Counsel at Intellia Therapeutics, explain the new guidelines and the potential impact on the biotech and natural products industries. This podcast was originally recorded while Nishla was an attorney with Finnegan. Nishla, can you start by explaining why the USPTO issued this guidance in the wake of the Myriad decision? Based on what we understand, right after the Myriad decision came out for several months, there was quite a bit of confusion at the patent office and also with patent practitioners as to whether Myriad applied only to genomic DNA, whether it applied more broadly, how was this going to be interpreted, how should it be interpreted, and at least internally, we were hearing anecdotes of inconsistent positions being taken by different examiners. One examiner would say one thing was okay, and a different examiner would say, oh, that's not patentable. There was also some lingering confusion from a 2012 Supreme Court decision, that's the Mayo v. Prometheus decision, that had to do with methods involving laws of nature. And Because of the confusion and some of the inconsistency coming out of the patent office with office actions, it seemed reasonable that the patent office would want to issue some guidance for the examiners of how exactly to apply the holdings of the Myriad decision and also further clarify how that fit in with the earlier Mayo decision. Leslie, the guidance lays out a three-part test for examiners to follow when determining patent eligibility. Was this test surprising? I think I'd have to say yes and no. The first step of the test posed no surprise. It tracks the language of the statute asking whether a claim is directed to one of the four categories of patent-eligible subject matter, a process, a machine, a manufacturer, or a composition of matter. Step two also appears to be standard. Does the claim recite or involve a judicial exception that is an abstract idea, law of nature, natural principle, etc.? The surprise comes in in how the USPTO interprets recite or involve in this step. The guidelines require that each claim be broken down into its most elemental components, and then each component must be analyzed to determine whether it looks like, tastes like, or smells like a product or law of nature. Certain words such as synthetic, recombinant, isolated, purified, and composition are to be given no weight in this evaluation. And then, if any of the components of the claim doesn't pass the recite or involve sniff test, in other words, the component is derived or bears some tangential relationship to a natural product or law of nature, the claim has to be analyzed under Step 3. Now, Step 3 requires that the claim as a whole recite something significantly different from the judicial exception. Step 3 requires a, a fairly complicated analysis of multiple factors that weigh both for and against a finding of significant difference. And unfortunately, there's no simple definition of significant difference provided by the factors. Terms that are used to signify a significant difference include markedly different, more than nominally, insignificantly, or tangentially related, more than well understood, purely conventional, or routine in the relevant field, and not insignificant extra solution activity. That makes it very clear, right? It's also surprising that at the end of the factors analysis, 
it still comes down to a judgment by the examiners as to the relevant weight of each factor in each situation. In the end, the three-step analysis provides an applicant with arguments to make to support patent eligibility of a claim, but no real certainty as to who has the better argument, the PTO or the applicant. Nishla, does this new guidance make patent applications and protection more difficult? Absolutely. Basically, in multiple respects, the new guidelines restrict what is considered patent eligible by the patent office. And the guidance requires examiners to ask new questions that were never really asked before as part of examination. And in many cases, we're seeing examiners make rejections that were never made before. So there are definitely many more rejections coming out of the patent office on subject matter that wasn't previously rejected under 101. In many cases, the types of rejections that the patent office is making deal with subject matter that wasn't squarely before the Supreme Court and its prior decisions. So there is still a lot of room for practitioners to fight back against the patent office. But in many of these cases, the examiners seem to be following more of a rule of reject instead of allow, and it's resulting in applicants having to go through multiple rounds of examination and possibly appeal, which will make patent prosecution take a lot longer and will increase costs just because of the number of rounds that are required to go through. And finally, Leslie, how does the guidance impact the biotech and natural products industries? Although the PTO's new interpretation of judicial exceptions to patent eligibility will impact many industries, I think the biotechnology and certain areas of pharmaceutical industries that rely on natural products, such as antibiotics and traditional medicines, are likely to bear the brunt of the guidance. Certain industries may be all but crippled by the guidance, such as the personalized medicine industry, which relies on the identification of naturally occurring biomarkers to diagnose or set the best treatment regimens for debilitating diseases like cancer or the vaccine industry, which uses small bits of naturally occurring disease-causing organisms to provide protection from disease. As Nisha pointed out, the costs and the time involved in prosecution are likely to increase dramatically and require appeals to the Patent Trial and Appeal Board and even to the Federal Circuit. The guidance may also be used as support for patent eligibility challenges by companies who want to challenge an issued patent resulting in yet another layer of uncertainty for biotech and other natural products companies, even if they've been able to successfully navigate the guidance during prosecution. I think in the end, the increased uncertainties involved in prosecution and enforcement of patents impacted by the guidelines will have a significant effect on a company's ability to raise funding for research and development of new life-saving or life-improving drugs potentially resulting in a less robust industry. Our guests have been Nishla Kaiser, Chief Intellectual Property Counsel at Intellia Therapeutics, and Leslie McDonald, a partner at Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms in the world. For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, to listen to other podcasts, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.